Thanks for joining us. My name is Jonathan Storman. I'm the preaching minister at the Pleasant Valley Church of Christ. Welcome to the series Wednesday Night Conversations. Whenever you're listening to them, we've brought in some of the best thinkers in church leadership and ministry, specifically on issues that we care about as a church, like racial reconciliation and evangelism and being an intergenerational church. If you're a part of PV or if you're outside of Pleasant Valley or even outside of Arkansas, I hope that this series will be as much a blessing to you as it has been to me. Well, hey, everybody at PV. I am here with one of my favorite people in the world, Dr. Brother Jerry Taylor. (laughs) Good to see you, Brother Jerry. Oh, good to see you, Jonathan. So good to be uh, with you again. Even though this is in virtual space, uh, we still get to uh, engage with each other. And uh, so good to be with you again and with the good folks at, at the congregation there and uh, good to good to be with you. Yeah, it was about a year ago that you came and preached and did uh, a thing for us where our black members and some of our leadership were able to sit and talk and get to know each other on a deeper level, yeah. which is really what we're looking at doing today. Mm-hmm. Um, First off, you're the director of the Carl Spain Center at ACU. Mm-hmm. Why is it named the Carl Spain Center, Brother Jerry? Well, we have been uh, for quite some time uh, here at ACU encouraging our students and our faculty and administration to be more vocal uh, in addressing uh, the sin of racism. Mm. Uh, this is the uh, intentional uh, attitude that one holds against another person because of their race or uh, their background. And so we believe that that is, that, 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 that racism is a spiritual sin. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is the negation of something that God has created and uh, to render judgment against God, that God made a mistake when he made black people. Mm. So uh, that is the most irreverent kind of attitude that one can have towards the creator. And so uh, we've been encouraging our people here at ACU uh, from the top level to the bottom level uh, to have uh, a desire to address uh, this spiritual uh, sin that can take people's hearts captive. And so uh, we uh, were given the opportunity to start a center that uh, would be designed in addressing racism. Uh, And we thought about who we could name the center after that could serve as an example of a white brother of great influence with inside of the institution itself that found the courage to speak truth to the institution at a very critical point in the history of ACC when it was life-threatening to speak about such issues. Mm. And so we landed on the person of, of Dr. Carl Spain, who was a Bible professor here at ACC at the time, and the minister of the Hillcrest Church of Christ. 
And it was Dr. Spain that stood in front of a packed audience on February 24th, 1960, and confronted Abilene Christian College at the time uh, for denying the entrance of African-American students into uh, her enrollment. While a United Methodist school across town, McMurray, was actually accepting uh, African-American students. And so Dr. Spain made the case that why is it that we claim to be the only ones going to heaven uh, and we claim to be the only one true church uh, and we're not accepting uh, black brothers and sisters who have been baptized into the same Christ that we have as white people. And yet the very denomination that you condemn saying that they're going to hell uh, they're the ones actually accepting these black mm. brothers and sisters into their school. And so uh, because Dr. Spain took such a courageous stand, we thought it would be uh, best to name this center in his honor uh, to remind our white brothers and sisters that they have a template uh, already uh, that's affiliated with the university uh, that could serve as an inspiration uh, to other white brothers and sisters that would uh, kind of follow in Dr. Spain's footsteps and, and speak out against uh, racism and, and discrimination that would be practiced towards people because of the color of their skin. Mm. So when we were talking earlier, Josh was in here and we were talking about um, inclusion and you said something that I said, I wish we were recording right now because <laughs> Uh, you, you said the, the most important part of the word inclusion is the first two letters. Mm -hmm. Do you mind expounding on what you meant by that? Okay. Yeah, uh, we use the word inclusion, the word integrate. Uh, the first two letters of both of those words uh, are the word I and N, which has to do with N. N. Uh, and that's the, the, the last place that sometimes we look uh, to expand our uh, connection to one another is the within, the inner space. Uh, that is the most neglected place in terms of exploration, I think, in all of the universe. We have people wanting to go to outer space and to explore outer space to see if there's life on Mars. Uh, but we neglect to explore the inner space, our inner being, uh, to see what has been stashed there by those mm. who had a hand in raising us. There are some things that seeped into the basement of our being that were actually mm. stashed in the basement of our being, that we've never opened the door to the basement to go down in there to explore, to mm. see what is there that may be in direct contradiction to the gospel that we espouse with our lips. Mm. Um, because we can espouse something that is beautiful and biblical, but what will govern our actions are the things that have been stashed in the basement of our being, even on a subconscious level. Mm. And so uh, that's what I was getting at. There can be no true integration 
no true social integration unless there is a qualitative spiritual integration. Mm. You can get black and white bodies sitting together in the same physical space. That will mean nothing unless you can get their inner beings connected together. Uh, the spiritual space in you connected to the spiritual space in me. And that is a work that uh, can only happen by the one that most people don't even believe exists. And that is the work of the Holy Spirit who can take mm. the, uh, the, the, the needle of love and knit hearts and souls together in a way uh, that nothing else can and no one else can. Uh, but it's going to take an awakening to uh, that spiritual reality that Jesus says, I'm going to leave him here as your teacher and as your comforter and as your counselor, as your consultant. Uh, but his workspace, his workstation is the human heart. Mm. And, uh, everybody has to bring their inner being to the table, their inner space to the table and expose it and to allow ourselves and others to dig around in there to see what might be there that is uh, contradictory to the working of the Holy Spirit. Mm. Could be uh, classified as something that's been planted there uh, unintentionally in most cases by the spirit of Antichrist because this is a gospel issue. Mm, yeah. Uh, we last Wednesday we had Scott McKnight uh, talking about the kind of churches that Paul planted and how it would have been the first racially diverse community where people were treated equal in human history, um, and that basically, so what you're saying, you know, racism is a Christian sin. It is, yeah. it is something that. You know, when the Gospel of John was written, when John is writing, he wants to write, for God so loved the Jews. Mm. But he spent three and a half years with Jesus. Yeah. And so he knows. Yeah. He knows when you're going to talk about who God loves, it, it has to involve, he loves people from every tribe and every tongue. And our churches are supposed to be a mm. colony of heaven. Mm -hmm. When you talk about spiritual integration, the thing that um, I go back to over and over again is that bus ride you put together mm -hmm. with um, 10 black preachers and 10 white preachers in Churches of Christ. Mm -hmm. And you, you took us all over different church and civil rights sites in the Southeast. Mm -hmm. And if you were to ask us, those 20 guys, if you were to ask us to fill out a doctrinal questionnaire, I mm. would imagine we would have filled it out almost exactly the same. Yeah. Um, but we were living in two very different worlds. Mm -hmm. And over the course of those few days together, uh, it was the meals together as much as anything. Yeah. Um, it, it was sharing stories and, you know, pictures of kids and grandkids, right. but they're, they're, you know, growing up poor and white in Arkansas, 
I have my own set of experiences, mm-hmm. uh, my own set of prejudices that, you know, I, I am becoming aware of, but I also, you know, still have them. Hearing my brothers talk about their own stories and, I mean, that was the kind of soul to soul stuff yeah. that the yeah. church can do and, and not on Facebook, yeah. not on, you know, angry shouting matches at Twitter. Um, I did not know the world that my black brothers and sisters lived in. Mm-hmm. And I I think it would be fair to say a lot of them did not know kind of what growing up poor and white was like and so we were able to help each other talk uh to each other and not at each other and and with right right one of the first stories that when we started off on that bus ride and it was the beginning of learning a new history that i did not know and you can't see it now but now my my office books are covered in i'm trying to learn the history of arkansas in regards to race relations because Mm -hmm. i realized these stories were invisible to me yeah for people who are um not able to go on that bus ride right now Mm -hmm. you started off with the story that i would imagine every black person in america or at least the great majority of them know but a large percentage of white people do not, which is the story of Emmett Till. Yes. Do you mind talking about that story and why that story was such a um, galvanizing one for the African-American community, Brother Jerry? Mm-hmm. Yeah, a young boy uh, raised in Chicago uh, that had somewhat of a little more uh, freedom in terms of the social environment in which he, he lived his young life, uh, came to the South not realizing that that was a stricter region uh, in terms of race and racism. And there were certain things that uh, Black men, period, uh, were uh, not allowed to do in the social context with whites uh, and being friendly with white women was one of those things, no matter what age you were. And so by the fact that uh, he uh, was uh, reported to have whistled at a white woman or said something out of the way to a white woman uh, did not just simply cause him to be reprimanded or, uh, or, you know, scolded, uh, but it, it, it caused his death, and not just death, but torture. Uh, the brutality to which his little body at that age had to experience uh, is similar to what we saw happening in, in an adult uh, 40-some-year-old black man with his neck under the knee of a white police officer. And so uh, Miss Mamie, Emmett's mother, Uh, decided to have an open casket uh, so that the whole world could see what kind of distortion uh, could happen to the body of a 14-year-old boy 
as a result of, of, of angering uh, white racism. And so it was one of the most disheartening, upsetting things that you could look at to see uh, the, the distortion of his body in that casket. Uh, it, it, it didn't even look human. Um, as and it was on the cover of Jet Magazine, wasn't it? Yes, and everybody saw that. And so if you have any humanity in you at all, you can't help but to be touched by that. Yeah. And so some people reacted with horror and others re reacted in anger and some reacted in hatred uh, and asking the question, how could this happen to a 14 year old child? So we see the physical result of racial hatred that distorted his body. But can you imagine what the souls of many black people look like? that uh, the camera cannot cover in terms of the distortion and the twistedness mm. as a result of the emotional torture being reminded every day that you are not a human being, mm. uh, to have opportunities snatched from you just because of the color of your skin and those things. It leaves the soul twisted and distorted and deformed. Uh, it, it turns it into something that is hard for the human eye to look upon, if the human eye could even see it. And so mm -hmm. what, uh, what you see uh, happening or what happened to Emmett's body is the same kind of distortion and deformation and, and defame uh, that has been visited upon the black souls that have had to live in this country since the early days of slavery, since 1619. So, uh, and that's why many folks don't go inward to look at it because uh, to see its image uh, and to even feel what that feels like is frightening. So for our members who are listening, that story may, that, that might sound like, um, well, that's, an, that's an example, but I can tell you that I've talked to a couple of our black members over the past week mm -hmm. who brought up Emmett Till and, and went and revisited it. I think the funeral might still be yeah, uh, on YouTube. On, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, because there, it, it is, it's a shadow of, you know, this, it, it's, it's just a, a, a story that, so many people did not know yeah. that a whole other group of people are very, very familiar with. And there's so many more of those kinds of stories. Yeah. Um, listening to how um, black, you know, black brothers and sisters experience America Mm -hmm. And um, versus the the way that I did um, was really in it. I guess insightful. In you know, mm -hmm. it's a step towards inclusion. Mm -hmm. um, one of the challenges that we have in this country is that uh, I don't know the best way to describe code switching. Mm. But basically, how do, how, how do you describe code switching, Brother Jerry? 
um, <clears throat> the code is designed to know, you have to know the code in order to know how to get in. Mm. And if you don't know the code, um, it can keep you out. If you know the code, it can get you in, uh, just like the passcode. Uh, and in terms of, of race relations and racial interactions, uh, there are certain codes that we as black people know that we have to use and we have to know and have to know how to utilize them in order to get inside of the white world. Uh, because the white world, from our perspective for years, uh, having grown up in poverty, uh, for some of us, we've seen the white world as our way out of a very painful condition of poverty. And, uh, and so we have had to learn uh, the code uh, to get into that white world and to present ourselves as being non-threatening to the white rule of the white uh, supremacy structure uh, and to give the impression that we, we, uh, we endorse that. Uh, when in our heart of hearts, we don't, but we know that we have to give white people that impression that we do. And we will mm -hmm. we'll avoid the subject of race because we know that that is not uh, a tasty subject for our white brothers and sisters. So we will avoid it. Um, we will even suffer insults at the hands of our white brothers and sisters when they say or do things unintentionally. But it's as black people, sometimes we are afraid to bring that to their attention. We just let it mm. slide. And in essence, we're teaching and training uh, white people how to treat us in disrespectful ways if we don't call it to their attention uh, and teach them uh, that this is hurtful, this is painful when you do this, and uh, when you fail to do this, that 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 makes me feel excluded. Hmm. Uh, That's a great. So it, one of the challenges as a preacher is I, I know that I have a lot of open-hearted people here mm -hmm. who, if they knew the stories of people that they dearly love, mm -hmm. it, would, it would make their heart expand. But yeah. um, so I, I, I can think of several names and faces and stories right now. And you brought one to the surface that one day with Miss mm. Linda Smith and Guy Wade. Um, mm. Do you remember that? He was talking about growing up in the, I, I know you do this at churches all over the place, but mm. he was talking about the little town he grew up in Arkansas and how there mm. was a tree. Yeah. And Linda Smith has known Guy Wade for decades. Yes, I remember but, that. Yes. Mm. And we've we've referred back to that several times because um brother guy is such a good and godly man he's so mm -hmm. widely respected at pv yes um but part of part of the challenge that i've learned from you about being black in a predominantly white churches is that you often you want to keep being friends with someone you don't want them to stop liking you yeah. so you you feel like you know, I, I don't want to put this out of there because I don't want to make yeah. you feel like I, I think you see me that way or what whatever. Yeah. Um, and 
it, it seems to me like one of the gifts that we can give each other in the church of Jesus Christ mm -hmm. is to help each other drop our masks. Yes. Well, I mean, that's how we've been trained, Jonathan, to honor, sure. honor the white self if that means dishonoring myself as a black person mm. that that uh, i would i would i would close the mouth of my own self my own soul to shut it down uh no matter how painful it is in order for me to protect your honor as a white self as a white mm. being mm. and so you know, we, we've been trained to commit uh, spiritual suicide um, out of coming across as if we're wanting to commit spiritual homicide against our white brothers and sisters. We, we, but our souls die in the process of trying to uh, tamper that and to keep that hidden and to wear that mask that doesn't even fit well, that's suffocating the soul because my soul cannot be honored even by myself to speak truth about how I have been violated or how I'm being violated by a white power structure uh, that does not respect my humanity as an African-American. It's it's all about the skin, really. You know, Dr. King was onto something there. It's mm. all about the skin. When skin is our highest value, uh, as opposed to the spirit of God, then mm. uh, skin will always rule the day. It will rule mm. how I interact with you because all of the laws and all of the codes based upon the skin. Mm. You know, I, there was a, we have a sister at our church who's from Rwanda, mm. and I asked her a few months ago, what was the difference ethnically between Hutus and Tutsis? Mm. And you know what she told me? Noses. Yes. Yes. And, and so this genocide happened. So in America, it is a lot of it is skin. But this demon takes a lot of different forms, and it can only come out with prayer and fasting. Yeah, I mean, there is, there is a you know in America we have the we have stories and we have our history that we have to uh, reckon with. Um, when you came and preached at Pleasant Valley, one of the things that you said was, "This is our number one national security issue." Yes, and so. I I understand that talking about race is uncomfortable. Um, it it can feel like it is trying to be divisive, but our hearts, both of our hearts, is the exact opposite. Mm -hmm. We're wanting to have unity and not a not a false unity. Right. And there are things that you have you have taught me. You've disagreed with me in in the past. You've You've taught me stuff. Um, I I remember on that bus ride, guys that I now count as family, there were some moments where the temperature got hot yeah. because if you don't talk about, yeah, it's like a dysfunctional family where you don't mention Uncle Billy's drinking problem or or yeah. whatever. Right, right. But but the your your point about 
um, this being a national security issue, you had even texted me a link a few months ago about how uh, outside forces are trying to ex exasperate both uh, white and black hate groups to yeah. escalate them to violence. Yeah. Um, and I remember at the time being like, Brother Jerry, I don't know. <laughs> and, and then and then we're here where we are now. I mean, yeah. I I feel like the Church of Jesus Christ, if this is a Christian um, issue, it's going to need Jesus people formed by the Holy Spirit and full of the virtues of the Holy Spirit. Yes. To be able to, and full of courage to yes. be able to, you know, talk with each other and you know, say like for for example, I think at Pleasant Valley, one of the hard conversations that needs to happen mm -hmm. between our white Christians and our black Christians is um, about what it means to grow up white, working class, and poor, mm -hmm. and also what it means to grow up in Little Rock as a black person who happened to be poor. Yeah, you know where where are the where's the common ground where was the distinction um uh you know the different opportunities uh affirmative action those yeah. are the kind of conversations that you know affirmative action has left uh um some people bitter when it comes to talking about racial justice or reconciliation Mm -hmm. um it's it's left you know i'm not i'm not trying to dis affirmative action i'm just trying to give examples of hard real conversations that we can have to stop a second civil war yeah and also be the church of jesus christ yeah yeah i you know the idea of racism being america's number one national security threat uh, is unfolding before us right now, and yeah. uh, it may be even more evident uh, this coming weekend. Uh, our external enemies have known all along that uh, the weakest link in our fragile democracy in America has been racism. Mm. This is not the first time that uh, external enemies have sought to exploit that racial division. Uh, it happened during the civil rights movement. That's why Martin Luther King uh, was accused of being a communist. Because yeah. back then, people on uh, the right understood that uh, uh, the Soviet Union would seek to exploit the racial divide. I mean, it, it even happened prior to that during the Second World War, uh, that black troops were uh, being told that why would you fight for the United States when they're not even giving you your civil and human rights. So these external powers and forces on the planet uh, have always recognized that they could not topple the United States by using military force. 
but they could cause an internal implosion if you figured out a clever way uh, to set one racial group against another racial group and you set one segment of the society against the police department and even have uh, people infiltrate the law enforcement community to advance a certain agenda. Hmm. Uh, and so we, we're in the midst of a perfect storm. I should say we're in the midst of a perfect hurricane. Hmm. Uh, and so the back wall of the hurricane is, is, is still on the way. Hmm. So the chaos we see in the streets, it's been orchestrated. It didn't just happen. Mm. Uh, people have been waiting for an opportune time. Dylan Ruth told us that what he did in that church killing nine people, he meant to spark a race war. But it's been hard for us to believe here in America that that could happen. And now we're sitting on the brinks of it. And, um, and I hope that we have enough time to turn things around. But if you're still having to convince people that it's, it's a possibility, <laughs> that lets me know that it's going to be hard turning it around because people don't realize we've all been set up as a country. Uh, one person said uh, Russia wants to see us tear ourselves apart. Hmm. And well, it doesn't seem like it's too... <laughs> it doesn't seem like it's too far away. I think what I would like for to happen in regard to this is that we go deeper together yes. and that the these things that we talked about today, mm -hmm. you know, I know there's stuff that we've said that people disagree with, but yeah. instead of instead of sending me an email, which you're more than welcome to do, Mm -hmm. But instead of sending me an email, what I would like is to ask someone who looks different than you and has a different story than you, hey, was what do you think about this? Mm -hmm. And and give them the space to not just say what you want them to say, you know? Brother Jerry, do you mind praying for us as we close out? Because this has been, this is one of those things we can only do with the help of the Holy Spirit. Yes, absolutely. Thanks, All Brother right. Jerry. Okay. God, we are so grateful that you're with us in this moment. And most of all, we're so grateful that you've made it possible for us to be with you and to be in you. And we acknowledge the fact that our inner space, our inner being, a lot of times we have allowed other things to occupy that space to where yeah. your voice has been drowned out. But we come before you uh, with the highest quality of humility that we know how, asking you, oh God, to have mercy upon us. You know that our country this very minute uh, is facing a very crucial a moment in its history and we know dear God that the only way that we can experience any semblance of tranquility or social peace is that when we as your children citizens of your kingdom uh, will be the peacemakers standing out in our culture as the salt and the light uh, trying to show a better way um, God, we ask that you teach us uh, not so much how to be 
doormats, but to become doorways through mm. which people can enter into another reality uh, mm -hmm. that uh, is yet to be fully articulated in a language that can help people understand uh, the direction we all need to travel in, oh God. We just pray for our churches, for our congregations. We, put, we pray for the Pleasant Valley uh, congregation there in Little Rock. We pray for Jonathan, for the elders, and for all of those who are part of the leadership and all of the members. We pray that uh, as uh, truth is spoken, as ideas are shared, we pray that we will always allow you, oh God, to be the filter yes. which receive those things and to ask the question, is this in harmony with the teachings of Jesus? Is this in harmony with the gospel, the true biblical gospel of Jesus yeah. Christ? We pray and ask this prayer in the name of Jesus, our Lord, who died that Friday but was raised on Sunday morning. Yeah. And name we pray and ask all these things amen amen thanks brother jerry oh you're welcome jonathan thank you my friend good to see you you too